Welcome to Connecting the Dollars, a personal finance podcast. I'm Emily Augusto, a CPA and financial advisor. And I'm Amanda Vaught, attorney and financial advisor. Both Emily and I are co-owners at Propel Financial Advisors. Propel Financial Advisors is an investment management and financial planning company. We are fee-only fiduciaries and independent registered investment advisors. I'm based in Chicago and Amanda is in New York City, but we work with clients nationwide. The purpose of our podcast is to explore personal finance topics, including budgeting, investing, behavioral finance, current events, and other helpful information. We also hope you'll get to know us along the way. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Connecting the Dollars. This is Emily here. Amanda is out on a New Year's vacation with her family. So once again, we have Danielle Woods joining us. And she has been on episode four talking with Amanda about creating tax diversity and flexibility in your savings accounts. So today we want to continue that conversation and focus a little more on estate planning. But before we jump into that, let me do a quick introduction. Danielle is a financial advisor, attorney, and tax professional. Um, She's a wealth of knowledge in all these subjects, and uh, we're happy to have her back. So thanks for joining me. And so let's jump in here. Um, One of the accounts you talked about on episode four was brokerage accounts or taxable savings accounts. Um, How does this account help me strategize for estate planning? Yeah, so I think we did brokerage accounts at the end of the last conversation, and we thought we should start with them here. They're very different from retirement accounts as far as withdrawals and how they're taxed. Um, And because they're their own little animal, we thought we sort of would do this first. And it's something that a lot of people I don't think utilize as well for um, long-term savings. They tend to think of um, taxable savings as extra money in their checking account or a savings account or a CD, um, when really you can use a taxable brokerage account to um, add um, to your retirement savings as well, because they have a completely different tax structure. And with the new limitations or restrictions, I guess, uh, I think of it for tax purposes in IRAs and 401ks, which we'll go into a little bit more later, mm-hmm. um, a brokerage account has become a much more attractive option for retirement savings. And while you are alive and well, and if you want to take money out of a brokerage account versus a retirement account, whenever you take money out of a retirement account, it's just whatever you took out is taxable. And we're talking about pre-tax savings, 401ks, IRAs, SEP IRAs, simple IRAs, anything that is not a Roth IRA and is a retirement account, you just get a lump sum tax statement and it shows up on your tax return and you it's like you earned money in that uh, on that amount of money mm-hmm. with taxable savings it's completely different as you know um if you uh put ten thousand dollars into a taxable savings account and you invest that money the money that you invested is um no longer taxable so say you buy five different mutual funds with ten thousand dollars you now have what's called tax basis in those mutual funds. So you have $10,000 in savings. Um, And just for simplicity's sake, let's say over the course of 20 years, you never add any more, you never have taken any out, you've had some um, reinvested dividends, which you've paid taxes on throughout the life of the account, but you need to liquidate the account. And now the account is worth $50,000. 
say you liquidate the whole thing, um, you get a $50,000 reported as income on your 1099B, which is different, a completely different um, type of tax format. Um, but you will not pay taxes on $10,000. So you've got $40,000 in income, but that income is not taxed as regular income like a 401k distribution would be. It is taxed at long-term capital gains rates. So right now, long-term capital gains rates for most of us mere mortals is about 15%. If you make a lot more money than I do, <laughs> you might be getting paid, uh, you might be paying 20% that's a lot less than regular income tax rates. So most middle-class folks are, are taxed between 22 and 32% under the current tax brackets. So paying 15% on long-term capital gains is much lower. Um, and you also have some control over that. When you look at your taxable accounts and say you didn't want to take all of it out, you just wanted to take part of it out, you get to choose which asset you want to sell and you have a lot more control over how much taxes you're going to pay. So that's one of the great things about those taxable savings. And beyond that, there are no other rules. You're not required to take it out at any time. There's no minimums. There are no income limits. It's super, super simple. Anybody under the sun could have a brokerage account. And aside from paying taxes each year based on the activity, whether it's income or a sale, that is it. So it's much simpler to 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 sort of make more tax efficient for you. You have a lot more flexibility there. So do you feel like that covered it? I don't want to jump into IRAs, which I tend to want to jump to because I'm still so frustrated <laughs> with <laughs> the recent tax law changes oh that gosh. have changed um, something that we've all been doing for years and years and years and years. Um, so I'll stop there. What What do you yeah. think we need to kind of talk about or clarify more on taxable brokerage accounts? Yeah, that was really helpful to know how that all works at tax time. That's super important. Um, so in terms of in terms of estate planning, so when my retirement is over, when I pass away, what happens to my brokerage account? That's How does that question. pass on to my beneficiaries? Yeah. So what I went over was specifically when you're still alive. Um, right. Should you be? Uh, should your family or your beneficiaries be? lucky enough to have some money left over upon your passing, either to pay bills for your estate or simply to add to their own um, situations. Again, that's very different than inheriting a retirement account. And under current tax law, and there has been some discussion about making a change to this, a very significant change, but we're going to stop worrying about what Congress may or may not do. <laughs> it's oh gosh, just going to yes. drive us crazy. Under current tax law, if you inherit a brokerage account, so again, say we're talking about our $10,000 initial contribution into um, a variety of assets that are now worth $50,000. So say that account gets inherited by, by you, Emily. So Emily inherits mm -hmm. a $50,000 brokerage account from her mom mm -hmm. and um, who is alive and well, and we expect to see for many, many years. <laughs> but um, so say, um, like I said before, had Emily's mom... I don't know how Emily's mom got dragged into this. I'm very sorry, Joan. No, um, she's in Hawaii right now. She's doing fine. Oh, so we kind of hate her as we look at the snow. <laughs> oh but, my gosh, um, it's one degree <laughs> in Chicago today. Oh my goodness. I think it's uh, it's in the 20s here, but it's supposed to be like 12 overnight and we're in Boy. East Tennessee. This is not something we see very often. <laughs> Tangent over, um, should Emily's mother, her fictitious mother, pass away and leave Emily a $50,000 brokerage account, that is going to be taxed very differently when Emily sells it than had her mother sold it the day before she passed away. So 
had the parent passed away and sold $50,000 worth of assets, we go back to my initial example where you're paying long-term capital gains on roughly $40,000. That is very different if you inherit a brokerage account. Under current tax law, if you inherit a taxable account, whether that be a checking account, a brokerage account with assets, I'm, you know, we're specifically talking about assets. So Emily inherits $50,000 worth of um, assets, mutual funds. Now, instead of her tax basis being $10,000, the tax basis is now $50,000. It becomes the value of the portfolio on the date of death. So if Emily inherits $50,000 on January 1st and turns around and sells it on January 2nd, there is no tax consequences whatsoever. It's called a step up in basis. It is huge. It's very important. It's how so many wealthy people maintain so much wealth. They do it a lot through real estate, um, stock transactions. Um, and, um, and, and that's one of the way it works. It just keeps passing on from generation to generation with no tax consequences whatsoever. And with a state tax limit so high um, that that meets most of the demand for most folks. So, um, and you can, and that's for any beneficiary and it doesn't have to just be a child or no, it's anyone and okay, any beneficiary. Right. Again, brokerage accounts are very, very simple when it comes to the tax code. Um, versus some other types of accounts. So if um, you're, you're expecting to inherit a large brokerage account, not an IRA, your tax consequences could be nothing. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting because the way that retirement accounts like tra traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs, the way that they pass on to beneficiaries is very different. And it's changed a lot in the past couple of years. So mm -hmm. let's, um, what do you want to talk about next? Maybe traditional? Roths. Yeah, Roth? let's talk about Roths because okay. they're less complicated than traditionals. Um, so a Roth IRA, as we've talked about many, many times, we love them. They mm -hmm. are, um, you contribute post-tax. So you don't save any money on the money that you contribute. It is, you know, there are a lot of rules around it. There are income limits. Um, there are contribution limits. We went over that a lot in the last podcast. I'm not going to go into that as much this time. Um, there has been some discussion again in Congress about changing some of those rules, but they have not been successful in ruining it for us yet. So we're going to continue to behave as if it is still intact, which it is. Um, whatever you contribute to a Roth IRA is tax basis. Um, so if you ever need to remove money from a Roth IRA from direct contributions, you can do that without tax consequence. If you convert money from an IRA to a Roth IRA, those rules are a little bit different. It has to sit in there for five years before you can take it out without tax consequences. All the while, the earnings continue to grow tax-free. You've not paid a dime on the earnings, and you won't if you um, keep that account active and you don't remove the earnings before age 59 and a half, and you've had the Roth IRA for at least five years. So Roth IRAs become, Roth IRA withdrawals rather, while you're alive, assuming you've met all of these other criteria, are basically invisible on your tax return, which is a huge help in retirement. When your Medicare premiums are dependent on your income, where you have no more income to pay taxes, Roths are a huge help. Um, so we'll just hammer on that a little bit more. For estate planning purposes, um, they are also very beneficial to the beneficiaries. If you inherit a Roth IRA from someone and they had that account for at least five years, you have to withdraw. You have to make what's called a required minimum distribution, an RMD for short. Um, and we help clients calculate those every year. Mm -hmm. But um, the income is not taxable to you. So you're required to pull it out. 
And you might say, well, what's the point if it's not taxable? The point is that it doesn't continue to grow earnings free. Right. You do as a beneficiary have the choice if you meet the income requirements to make to take that contribution that you had to withdraw, or I'm sorry, not use the word contribution. You can take that Roth distribution that you took from your inherited Roth and put it in your own Roth IRA and continue that cycle for yourself. So that may be an option, or you could put it in a taxable brokerage account if you don't meet the requirements for a Roth IRA and enjoy the long-term tax benefits of having a taxable brokerage account. So you don't have to spend the money. <laughs> That's what I tell <laughs> clients all the time. You don't. Like, what do I have to do with this? It's time to buy a new car. Right, right. You can, you know, can I pay off my car, which I hear all the time, stop paying mm -hmm. off cars with 2.7% interest rates, please, yeah. people just stop. Them at this. <laughs> but um, so if you inherit a Roth IRA, and the original owner um, had it for at least five years, you enjoy free RMDs, required minimum distributions each year. It does have to be reported on your tax return. But again, for income tax purposes, it is invisible. But do yourself a favor, put it back into another investment and keep making money on it um, if you are able to do that. Any other questions on Roth IRA specifically for estate planning purposes? Um, I think you covered that all there. There, The SECURE Act um, mainly affected traditional IRAs. Is that correct? correct? Yeah. So let's move on to those then. So traditional IRAs are the pre-tax um, benefit types of accounts, just like Typical 401ks, um, SEPs, SIMPLES. SEPs, yeah. Anything with an IRA behind it except Roths um, and 401k plans. Yeah. So and these are probably the most complex in terms of estate planning or in terms of a lot of things, but we'll focus on estate planning today. Yeah, because of the SECURE Act. And I went over right. the SECURE Act in the last podcast. I won't hammer on it quite as hard as I, I have uh, in the past. I'll just be really brief. The SECURE Act was passed by our delightful Congress who were patting themselves on the back for increasing retirement options for so many people, which is ridiculous because there were already so many retirement options available. Um, it was passed almost unanimously um, and went into effect on January 1st of 2020. Like mm -hmm. I say, the year that all awful things happen. And one of those was the SECURE Act. So basically what it did was it said, that if you leave, if you do not outlive your IRA, your 401k, any of these pre-tax retirement savings accounts, a beneficiary of some sort is going to receive it. And the rules about whether or not it goes to a spouse or somebody who's not a spouse, may, are, are, they're a little different. So let's start with spouses. If you are a spouse who inherits an IRA from your spouse, then you're not as subject to all of the rules that the SECURE Act put in place as other beneficiaries. As always, before and after the SECURE Act was passed, if you're a spouse, you have the right to move that inherited account, the steps that the applicable steps are, you know, spouse one passes away, spouse two inherits the account, and it goes into what's called an inherited IRA with the, with the brokerage firm. The spouse now has two choices. They can either leave three choices, I guess. You can leave 100% of those assets in an inherited account. Or number two, you can move all of those assets to your own IRA. Or the third choice is you can leave some of it in the uh, inherited IRA and you can move some of it to your own IRA. Now, why would you want to do part, part and part? And that's something that I've been thinking of um, this last year. I think I've advised a couple of folks that they may want to consider that. And there's two reasons. One, if you are sadly, 
young. You were under the age of 59 and a half. And so was your spouse when they passed away. Um, that is becoming a common problem with COVID and with the increases we're seeing in cancer impacts. It's happening a lot more than you know we would all like to see. So if you are young, under the age of 59 and a half, when you lose your spouse or your spouse is under the age of 59 and a half, or actually rather your, your spouse is under the age of 72, they were not required to start taking money out of their IRA yet. And neither are you. However, if you have an inherited account, you can start taking some money out. And why would you want to do that? If you are were reliant on your spouse mm-hmm. to make money and you actually need that IRA money to live on, then you'll want to start taking some money out routinely. I recommend setting up a routine amount. If it's in your inherited account, you can take it out without paying a penalty. If it's called a code four on your 1099R that you get, it's still income. It's still going to be added to your income. You're going to pay taxes on income tax. There's no way to avoid that no matter when you take it out. But if you're under the age of 59 and a half and you need money from your spouse's IRA to live on, then you want to leave at least some of that in your inherited account to avoid the 10% penalty. Because once you move it to your own IRA, you have to pay a penalty if you take it out under the age of 59 and a half and don't meet any of the other exceptions. Right. Was that clear? Yes. Okay. So that is a a very important distinction for anybody who sadly loses a spouse under the age of requirement, required distributions at 72. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's something to keep in mind that you may want to do a part and part uh, movement. The part that moves to your regular IRA, it's now your IRA. Under the Secure Act, they moved the required distribution age from 70 and a half to 72. They thought they were really clever, that that was a yeah, really a big deal. Extra year and a half there. <laughs> a whole year and a half, thanks. Yeah. So um, now the new age for required minimum di- distributions out of an IRA is 72. So I think that kind of covers spouses and the Secure Act impact of spouses. Isn't there, we don't have to get into this, but isn't there a um, rule that if the spouse is over 10 years younger than the other spouse, there's some kind of... Yeah, there's a, there's a different calculation about how much is required to be taken out. Okay. And I just, I don't have that number off the top yeah, of my head. Again, these are very, very specific to you, um, whoever right. you may be. So whenever anything like this comes up, reach out to us, to your tax person immediately um, and prepare for this because um, sometimes these are big numbers. They have impacts on other aspects of your financial life or your tax return. And it's really, really important to get ahead of it and be ready for it. Yes. Um, So I think the next thing is if you are a child inheriting a parent's pre-tax account. Or a non-spouse, really. Just if you're a non-spouse who is, um, yeah, I'm not going to go into all the minute exceptions for Secure Act. It's just too much. We'd have to have a whole podcast on Secure Act. (laughs) I'm just going to talk about some generalizations that apply to most folks out there, the most of the people that we come into contact with. Mm -hmm. If you inherit an IRA or a 401k as a non-spouse, the Secure Act now says that you have to withdraw all of that money within 10 years. There has been some debate about whether or not you need to take a little bit each year or whether or not you can wait until year 10. I think that what I've read so far is they've decided that you just have to wait until year 10. Okay. Um, so you have the, the ability to take out a little bit each year. The good news is that it's not subject to a 10% penalty. Again, when you remove money from an inherited retirement account, there's no 10% penalty. You can take money out of it. You right. just have to pay income tax. Um, 
but you have to remove all of that money within 10 years. And for some people, they think, well, that's going to be great. Um, for the person that saved all that money all their lives, I had a client recently, I need to reach out to them, in fact, and set up some Roth accounts um, for conversions. But um, they said, I worked all those years for that money. I do not want the government to get it all. And I don't have my numbers in front of me. I did a uh, an in-person um, education seminar on this a couple of years ago when the Secure Act first came out. I had folks in the room who thought, okay, well, if you inherit $100,000 and you got to pay $22,000 in taxes, that's a lot of money. Like they were frustrated about it. And I said, okay, well, let's look at what you would pay in taxes on that $100,000 if you had kept it over the course of your life, which is what the rules were before the Secure Act. Before the Secure Act, a child or a non-spouse beneficiary could take out a minimal amount each year based on a calculation and still have plenty of money left upon their death if that's what they wanted. And they could give it to their own kids. And if you calculate that out over the course of tens of years, you're actually paying a lot less tax and the account is still growing. Um, when you start taking big chunks of money out of a retirement account, the growth drops significantly, right? Mm -hmm. So your earnings have gone down a lot. So basically, not only has the government taken a bigger chunk out of your account by making you pay taxes within 10 years, it's also reduced the amount of wealth that that money generated. So um, what do we do about it, I guess, is the next question. The next question is... Um, we're talking a lot more, we're pushing a lot more with Roth IRAs and brokerage accounts. Mm -hmm. If you're one of the people where all of your retirement savings is in your 401k or IRAs from 401ks over the years, and you don't have significant Roth or brokerage savings, you need to do that. Like maybe it's time to stop putting money in the 401k and start adding to the Roth and the brokerage account to help to alleviate some of those tax consequences and increase. It's always been something we wanted you to do to increase flexibility and tax efficiency. But now more than ever, especially if you think you may outlive your money um, and you don't want your beneficiary to just spend all your money in you know, a couple of years. And if your accounts outlive you. Right. Yeah. I'm yes. sorry. Yes. If your accounts <laughs> outlive you, that's, that's the important part. Mm -hmm. Um then it's even more important than we use those. So as an advisor, I have pushed that a lot more with clients who come in and they're like, okay, I've got half a million dollars in my retirement account. I'm doing great. And I'm like, great. And we would do a financial plan, which is also an option. And I, we recommend it, do a formal financial plan with us or another advisor, plug in all these numbers and see what does it look like if I retire at this age and I don't spend this much money or if I lived this long, you know, where, where, where do I land? Um, if you have to start spending that IRA money or if somebody other than you spends it after you're gone, that money's just not going to last as long as you thought it would. And I think, um, I mean, I've been doing this 23 years, so I've watched a lot more people retire in recent years than I did early on, obviously, as people yeah. have aged. And it's always a shock to see how much of that big chunk of money you thought you had, like, okay, I've got a million dollars in my retirement account. I'm doing great. And then you start paying taxes and the long-term effect of the lack of growth on the money you had in there starts to become more and more evident and it goes down a lot faster than you'd think. So having accounts where the tax impact, like a brokerage or a Roth IRA, it, it means a lot more as you get older than the little bit you might be saving in taxes when you're younger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is very helpful. Um, I think that's one of the key points that comes up in a lot of our podcasts is that just having these different types of accounts and diversifying. And it's super important to talk to your advisor about things that are changing in your life or if you are expecting an inheritance because that can really make a huge difference 
on your tax bill. Um, with the SECURE Act rule, if, I mean, this is just generalizing, but I would assume that when a parent passes away, the child or the inheritor, if they're younger, is probably still working and has an income. And if they have to start taking out ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a year over the 10 years, that's going to be a significant mm -hmm. change to their tax situation. Yeah. So, I mean, more and more, as we know from the last few years, more and more on your tax return is impacted by your bottom line, your adjusted gross income number. Yes. And if you are self-employed, say like we are, like I have my health premiums on healthcare.gov mm -hmm. and my income greatly impacts how much my premiums cost us, our family. So if I suddenly had to start taking in an extra, you know, 20 or 30,000 a year, that would, I'd blow a lot of it on healthcare premiums. Yeah. Um, other folks are, um, or if you want to contribute to a Roth IRA, maybe it jumps you in the next tax bracket and you're mm -hmm. now over the income amount and you can't contribute to Roth anymore, not, not without doing some strategy. Um, so those things are really important. Um, I also didn't talk about minor children. If you're one of those folks who say you're a grandparent and you want to leave your, Roth, your IRA to your grandkids and your grandkids are minors, those minors still have to take money out of your IRA. Um, it's crazy. <laughs> so now you've got kids who are inheriting potentially a good chunk of money mm -hmm. and you're going to trigger the kitty tax, um, which is an even bigger disaster. And they have made it even more complicated last year. So you may have kids paying trust tax rates, which are very high mm -hmm. um, on IRA income that their parents may just take and spend. Yeah. Um, so these are really important things to keep in mind. Um, and, you know, it used to be just enough to say, I saved, I saved, I saved. And now you really have to strategize. There are a lot of rules in here. And so, you know, I had a client, a new client recently, it was in his early twenties and we talked to him and I said, okay, well, we're going to charge you a minimum of $25 a month to help you plan. He's like, Ooh, I don't know if I can pay that folks. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> Trust me. Mm -hmm. um, if you think about how much you spend on getting your nails done or um, your gym membership that yeah, your gym membership yeah, or things that you use. don't even use, please yeah. just consider sp spending a little bit of money on, on us, on yourself, <laughs> on, you know, financial planning in general, because these rules, um, I don't think this complexity is going away, no matter yeah. how much our politicians promise it is. It's not, it's just getting worse every year and it's changing yeah. every year, every single year. And so you're paying us to deal with this headache and understand what we're doing. And quite frankly, we see a lot more uh, clients than you do. So we have all these examples to learn from real life situations that we've had to work through. Um, that experience is, uh, is really helpful to, to, to you. So uh, I do encourage you, if it's not us, use somebody mm -hmm. who knows what they're doing. Um, and invest if you're in yourself, yes, investing in yourself. And if you do have financial accounts, it's great that you have that. And if you still need at least somebody out there who's helping you navigate this, these rules are not going to go away. Yeah. Thank you so much. That was a yeah. lot of great information. Um, I don't think we mentioned this on the podcast before, but Danielle and I actually co-own a CPA firm. Mm -hmm. So we keep up with all the tax law changes, which you know really helps us in our financial advisor work as well. Well, and we did it because we were financial advisors first and all these tax rules were coming down. We're like, this is just too much. We have to be able to, to specialize in this. Um, because you can't, we don't feel as an advisor, you can do your job properly without having a really good handle on tax advice. And we've gotten a few new clients. We get at least a few every year who come to us because they said, well, their, their, their financial advisor said, well, you need to talk to your tax professional, like wouldn't take any 
couldn't take any uh, responsibility responsibility or, for yeah. what was going on in their account, which is, you know, it's a dangerous place to be sometimes. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think we're getting to the end here. So thanks again for all the information. Thank you. We'll put links to everything in our show notes at connectingthedollars.com. And yeah, hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Thanks, Danielle. All right, everybody have a great day. For all links and resources mentioned today, head over to connectingthedollars.com. Thank you for listening. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This podcast does not engage in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.